Appreciate y'all tuning in to another episode of the Blizzard's Ignorant Podcast, man. This week, man, I am honored, man, to actually have um, a member of my fraternity as well as a, num- a member of the comedy community uh, on board with me, man. Uh, without further ado, man, the comedy legend himself, man, Red Grant is in the building. Red, what's hey. good with you, man? What's up, Bliss? How you doing, Mr. Um, J. Bliss? Uh, I'm five good. Find new pie to the day we die. To the, to the day we die, man. <laughs> hey, this is... Um, <laughs> It's been a long time coming, man, because I, I was I've been trying to get you on, man. Um, uh, I think I had a couple guests on. Your name kept coming up. I said, man, I got I got to get red on here. I got to get red on here. One that in particular sticks out in my mind was Dominique, and Dominique oh, yeah. told her story about how she started in comedy and and uh, she she was interested in doing it. Had to have a meeting. With with you and, and a couple other comedians, like had her in the room, like listen, let, let let's talk about what you gonna do on stage. But she said, like just just from a mentoring standpoint, like how how helpful y'all were in getting her to ha- build her confidence, just to be able to get up there and do what she was gonna do. And yeah. it was it was and it wasn't just the room. Yeah, yeah. Did she, did she tell you what type of room it was? Did she tell you the whole story? Yeah, like yeah. It was she, a bedroom. It yeah, was somebody's she t- bedroom. <laughs> she, t- she told me, and I was laughing because I was like, were they hazing you? Like, what was going on? You know? That's what it, it probably felt like that, you know what I mean, at the same time. But it's a, it's incredible, especially with her story. You know, Dominique is like a naturally funny individual. And like most people get into comedy, you know, they try hard. You know, mm-hmm. she doesn't have to try hard to be uh, funny. You know, it's just naturally what she talk about every day. She was talking about the same thing at the post office. You know what I mean? So when we got her in that uh, that room and she went off, yo, she was, it was like she was on stage in front of 3,000 people, but she was in wow. front of three people, two people yeah. maybe. Yeah. And, and you see where she's at today because of her non, uh, I mean, her ability to not be scared of situations. She's just a fearless individual and I love her so much. She's like, she like my my little sister. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, she yeah, that's my girl right there. So so I mean, being in this comedy, I've been in comedy about 15 years and um it's certain names that you can ring out. I mean, you might say a name and you just know automatically they're going to tear the stage down regardless of, of the notoriety that you might have. Right. And you know, we also we always have the comedians that we feel like don't get enough flowers, don't get enough recognition. Yeah, they um, gave me my flowers. They get they, they just gave me my flowers. I see behind you. <laughs> <laughs> I was saying, like, I'm basically saying, like, if if you know about Red Grand or you hear about Red Grand on stage, you automatically know the show is gonna be official. You know what I mean? Like, mm. you don't have to worry about, oh, I wonder if he's gonna be funny. It's just one of those things. What 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 got you in the comedy? I mean, other than maybe just being like around people or playing the dozens or growing up the way people grew up like what made you feel like yo i want to do this on stage i know this might sound like like uh like weird but god actually moved me into comedy like he truly like moved me into where i'm at today like all of my life i've been spiritually protected Mm -hmm. um so when i uh my mom's put me into theater when i was little she put me into all of the uh choirs that I could be in. 
I, I sung in this, I sung in the city choirs in DC, which we got a chance to sing for like presidents, you know, like, I mean, I'd probably tell them my age, but you know, like President Reagan, we sung yeah. for the Bushes, we sung for, you know, I was a little cat, you know, speak uh, singing on the uh, lawn of the Capitol in the White House, you right. know, and I just think, you know, just having a mother who pushed me into not being in the street all the time, she kept me busy. Right, so, right. So when I got to um, school, you know, I was singing to everybody. I mean, I've been singing all my life, but that's what I like to do. I sing. And so when people see me sing, they like, damn, he can sing. But I, they don't know I just been singing. <laughs> I've been singing all my life. Right. So, um, no, so, you know, so when I got to college, when I went to Savannah State, you know, I kind of started doing comedy there, but I didn't know I was doing comedy. Right. I just thought I was just like hanging with the football team, you know, because I right. was a football player. I thought I was just hanging with the team. We was clowning in the dorm. We had shows and all of that. And I dress up and, and do this this preacher joint. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, I played with Shannon Sharp. So, you know, me and Sharp right. played together. So right. it's like, you know, it, it was an interesting time. You know, they used, we used to all be, you know, clowning. And I think those experiences gave me an opportunity to get funnier. Yeah. Um, I was around a lot of funny people. So when I when I lost my football scholarship and I and I had to come home, uh, you know, my mom wouldn't let me just sit. She was like, nah, you gotta get a job, you gotta go back to school, whatever. So I went to UDC right. and mm-hmm. a lot I, I my friend, our frat brother, one of our frat brothers was like, Man, Reg, you should tell some jokes, man. You should go to this open mic. You know, they got up in uh, DC and Mr. Henry's. And I was like, I I was like, nah. Cause I used to rip the house, man. Like, you know how the bros get together. The bros get together every deep and I'd be in there ripping the house. And they right. tell me stories of it right now. Like, right. man, you were so funny, man. The house, man, used to keep us up all night. Woo, woo, woo. And you know, at that time I wouldn't, I didn't know I was in training doing comedy training. <laughs> right. Right. You know, and it, so. it's, that's funny that you bring that up. Um, when, when my people from my high school found out that I did stand up comedy, they all came to me and was like, yo, that makes sense. They was like, yo, you was always having us laughing. And I was like, I don't remember that. I just remember being one of the dudes and yeah. just being around. You know what I mean? Yeah. But they yeah. would always say that, no, your joke always went one step way too far to make everybody just fall out laughing. You know what I mean? Right. But that's like the comedy mind that we have, right? Because we think about something, but we always go that one step further. And it's crazy when you find out that you're the funniest person in the room when you're not trying to be the funniest person in the room. Correct. I saw that picture on the beach of you and Shannon Sharp and the football team. And I'm like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> and I'm going, so you trying to tell me Shannon Sharp and Red Grant was in the same locker room? Like, I wouldn't even know how to even handle something like that because of just the, the buffoonery that probably went on. You know what I mean? And we were, and the craziest thing was we wasn't the funniest people in the locker room. Right, right, we was right, just, right. We, was, we was adding to the funny, but it was so many funny people on that team like so right. many great characters was on that team and we could play football right everybody on there could play football they all came from different places around the country mostly from georgia florida and i was probably right. it was about three of us from the dc dmv area but everybody like was like really talented on that team but we also had personalities our coach our coach had a personality coach davis he he just had a personality so it was like you know, just to be on that 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 team and not knowing at the time that I was really uh, in history, you know, right. it's it, right. it just, you know, it, it was amazing. Right. But then, you know, I, I started telling jokes. I told jokes for the first time in Mr. Henry's. I didn't really get no laughs or nothing. I didn't get booed, but I didn't get no laughs. And uh, I went back to school at UDC 
uh, University Dif District of Columbia. And then I, um, I told the, uh, the president of, the, not the president of the school, but the president of the uh, students union or whatever, you know, the students. I was like, yeah, you know, Def Jam was coming to the school to tell jokes. Right. And, and I told him, I was like, man, I, I'm a comedian, man. You got to get me on that show. And he was like, I didn't know you was a comedian. I was like, yeah, I'm a comedian. I got to get on that show. So he put me on the show and he put me up so early, it wasn't really nobody there. And I didn't really do well, but nobody really saw me, but a few people saw me not do well. Somebody, they was heckling me in the crowd. Now at that, I was fighting. I, I was using my uh, my battling skills. Right, was, right, right, right. That's how I got through that show, right? <laughs> right. But I was in awe to see these young men on Def Comedy Jam, you know, because I was 19 at the time. And I, to see them, like, rock, and that inspired me. So six months later, I got another opportunity, and uh, Bob Sumner told me to come yeah. to New Jersey. Yeah. And when I came to New Jersey, you know, I went. I always tell the story. I went up there with a friend of mine who was a comedian, and he went on first. Bill Bellamy was hosting. He went on first, and he didn't do well. Actually, he got booed. Yeah. And uh, and Bob came back. He was like, uh, man, you know, he not. He probably, I don't know, man. You know, I hope you ready. So yeah. when I went up there, I rocked that joint, and. Uh, and Bob said, "Yeah, you're gonna be on." And I had to ride back to DC with that same dude. Yeah, like, that's tough. Know, and it was it was yeah. a tough ride. It was a tough yeah. ride, but you know, and I didn't have a ride. He was my ride. So yeah. I was thinking that's how God just gave me a ride with my, you know, what with, with a homie that you know, what I'm saying it wasn't his destiny to be a comedian, but it was mine. So you right. know, and right. I really appreciate him. You know, what I'm saying to this day, you know, I, I love and appreciate that brother. Yeah, that, you know, it, it's weird, I mean, how stuff happened, man. Like, the fact that you told the the, the student, the uh, president of students that you needed to be on that show, because you know you were supposed to be on that on that stage. You were singing when you was younger, so you was used to being on stage. But then you went up there, you didn't do what you felt like you was doing, but you still had the arrogance enough to be like, yo, you got to put me on this show. Like, it, it was like that, like, you didn't get booed, you didn't get uh, laughs. But it was like that feeling when you when you get like, y'all belong up here. And I tell young cats all the time, young comedians like, yo, stop looking like you're not supposed to be up there. Even right. if your jokes ain't working, you need the confidence to be like, I'm supposed to be up here. You know what I'm saying? Right, right. So fake it till you make it. You know what I mean? To the point where, you know, have confidence in your material where that when you knock that joke down, sometimes a laugh ain't what it need to be. Sometimes it's supposed to be all groans. Yeah, it's still yeah. a reaction, you know what I'm saying? So, you know what I'm saying? Just gotta, you gotta, gotta yeah. live with that, man. Yeah, you gotta learn about those reactions, man. You know what I mean? Everything ain't gonna be ha, ha, ha. You gotta right. understand. And Dave Chappelle tells you, tells you this the best. He said, don't be afraid of the quiet moments. Right. You know, right. don't be afraid when they not laughing. Cause that's when you, as, a, as an entertainer or as a comedian on stage, if they ain't laughing, you feel like, oh, what's going on? Right. But if you, if you can, uh, face those fears of them not laughing, then you will be incredibly more talented and uh, able to tell jokes better. Yeah, the way the way I look at it already uh, is like when they're not laughing and it's complete silence, they listening. They are listening. So almost got them at the point where they like, what's this dude about to say next? So I feel yeah. like you know I, I've gotten to that point over the last four or five years where. I'm real comfortable with silence. Like I can walk out on stage, say what's up to everybody and sit there for 40 seconds without saying nothing. Yeah, because in their brain, in their brain, they like, oh, what is he about to do? 
Right, <laughs> right, right, right. And that's the that's the cool thing about it, man. Um, and you know, we, we see people on TV, and you know, TV is a short and pound of time, so you got five to seven minutes, maybe twelve, to be able to do what you do on TV, and that is not the same as being on stage for forty-five to fifty because you got to get that stuff in and get off that stage on that TV time frame. You don't see yeah. a lot of people pausing on that TV set. You know what I mean? So that's where people get the idea of you got to constantly be talking. You got to be constantly saying material and stuff like that. And it just don't work that way. Yeah. But um, so the Def Jam, uh, would you feel like, did you feel like once the Def Jam thing happened, were you did you feel like your material was where it needed to be? Or were you doing a lot of fluff stuff in between just to get through shows? Nah, I just felt like I was I was creating who I was, you know what I'm saying? If you look yeah. at my first Def Jam, I sung on that Def Jam, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, so yeah. I was using everything that I had, you know. I talked about Teddy Pendergrass. Right. And, and I, I was just like, I talked about being in love, like, mm -hmm. you know, it, and, and and I had went through that. Like, I was in love with a girl, and I felt like I was hiding in the bushes to see if she was cheating on me. And I was like, <laughs> right, you know, right. and, I, and I talked about it. I said, you know you're in love when you uh when you be hiding in the bushes with a helmet on, with leaves coming out that mug, right? <laughs> Wait for your girl to come home so you can jump out and say, where you been? You feel me? Yeah, so, man. like, these are real life experiences. Right, that, right, know, right. <laughs> love that love will make you do, you know. So, at that moment, you know, uh, I was just talking about the things I knew. I didn't have a strong hour. I didn't have a strong 45, but I had a strong 15, yeah. 20 minutes. Yeah. And, and that's what I, and I did the Apollo and I did Def Jam that same weekend. I oh, did okay. Apollo on Saturday and I did Def Jam on Sunday, like that oh. same weekend. Yeah. So I went and rocked the Apollo with that material and then, and they, and they ripped. Yeah. And I said, if I could get through the Apollo, the Def Jam should be pretty easy. Yeah. And, and it was, it was, it, it was a great experience. That's, that's dope, man. Like that, that whole thought process of doing two of those in the same weekend, when you look back at it now is huge. It probably was huge for you then, but you didn't realize how huge it was going to be. You know what I mean? We talk about years later. You know what I mean? No, because I was in a hotel room with the uh, with all the uh, all my friends, and I was like, I'm ironing my clothes, getting ready to go to Apollo. I'm like, I got to be at the Apollo at a certain time, you know. Uh, and they like, damn, you can ready to do the Apollo tonight? I was like, yeah, I got to go do the Apollo tonight too. And I I left them. I remember leaving them in New York. I don't know if I jumped in a cab or I got on the train or I, I can't really remember that part, but. I just remember being at the Apollo, Steve Harvey was hosting. Mm -hmm. And and it's just like to get through that show, right? It's huge. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think I think one of the signature things people recognize you by is your smile uh and your laugh. You know what I'm saying? People you, always you know you like you're talking about my teeth. <laughs> oh yeah. Well listen, man, I'm 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 my family, we have a we have a gap in our family too. Like, like no, they don't they don't call ours a gap. They don't call ours a gap. They call ours a, a straight split. That, that, we got a split. <laughs> so I gotta give you a story. Like, so I got twin girls, and uh one of my twins, she has the hereditary gap in her teeth. Hers is, is very prominent. So uh within this last year, she had to get braces because her she had crowding at the bottom. And then she she had like an uh, underbite forming. So they was like, we got to give you braces. Now, these kids is different nowadays. They don't have the bullies like we had growing up. Nah. My, kid, my daughter is very proud of hers. She Mine loves too. My, my yeah. daughter's 12. She got braces. Right? She, loves, she loves it. She wanted yeah. to ask. The, the dentist was like, you got any questions? She's like, can I keep my gap? 
She wanted to get her braces, but she wanted to keep her gap. Oh, and, they, and, they, and they said, we, we can't do it. And she was, she was upset for about a good week and a half. Like she just, she Man. didn't want to get rid of it. You know what I mean? So it was just like, it was like one of those things where she, she liked the distinction. She liked the fact that she didn't look like everybody else. She liked the it, fact that Michael Strahan had what she had. You know what I mean? Like it was like one of those things, you know what But I'm it's saying? crazy because one of my cousins came to the show this weekend named Kelly. Uh-huh. And Kelly has a gap. Like all my family, if you, you see the outside of the family, all yeah. of them got gaps, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so Kelly came and she smiled and she had braces on her teeth. And I'm yeah. like, Kelly, you got braces? She was like, yeah. And it gave me an option because I guess she had the crowding shit uh, situation yeah. happening. Yeah. And she was like, yeah, I was like, you can get rid of your gap. You're yeah. going to be the first person in our family to get <laughs> bracelets and get rid of your gap. Right. And she's like, yeah, it feels so funny. She said, but I'm going to be looking, I'm, I'm going to be looking good. I said, I know because you're already cute. So I was like, damn, it's like, yeah. you know, yeah. I mean, you know, but I tried to get braces. I asked my mother, could I get braces at a certain age? I don't know what age I was, but I was like, yeah. Mom. I was like, I, I want to get braces because I don't, I want to close my gap. She was like, boy, your teeth cute. <laughs> and I was saying to myself, well, my mother said my teeth cute, then my teeth yeah. cute. Listen, man, your, your mom got a way of making you feel way better than what you feel about yourself. You know what I'm saying? Yes, but like did. I said, when we go to school, we had to deal with the bullies. We had to learn how to crack on one another. So it was like, yo, people get to cracking on you. You get to saying what you got to say, man. It was like we played the dozens, like from the time we got to school to the time we left. So, I mean, I, my stuff was, you know, it was just what it was. You know what I mean? Hey, it you is know. what it is, man. You, it, it, it makes you stronger. It makes you absolute, who you are. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Um, what's it like, you know, with the with the raising of daughters? Like, I know you got daughters, too. So, it's like, what yeah. is that that whole process in itself? Do you have a son or is it just No daughters? sons. No yeah. sons. Oh, oh, see, I don't even think I got boy sperm. I don't even know if I had any... I, I- <laughs> Let's I don't know if I have any X chromos. I don't know what it is. I don't know if I have any of them. So, <laughs> and, and me and my wife talked about it. We was gonna try to have another kid, but then we we was going to try to get a son. But yeah. we was like, we already know. My wife already she had a, a kid uh, when we met, and I had a kid. Yeah, and they both was girls, and then we had a kid together, and it was a girl. So I was like, and I got all girls in my family. Yeah. I got seven sisters. Oh. Uh, you know what I mean? I'm what? Got, so it, it ain't no, it's not any way that I'm going to have a boy. Yeah. You know? So, yeah. Uh, but I mean, raising girls is, is I, I look at it like this and I call it raising queens because, you know, we got to, um, as a society, especially a male society, mm-hmm. we got to start, you know, putting them on that pedestal and making them put themselves on that pedestal. Yeah. Because it has gotten like, you know, the fathers have left the lives of some of these kids. Um, and we, we we have to take on that situation mm-hmm. to help raise these young women so they will feel special like they should feel on a daily basis, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and it's very important for us, especially African-American kids, um, that sometimes don't have the same environment that so-called, you know, white kids might have. And not, not that all white kids are living in great environments. Don't, right. don't think I'm saying that. Right, so right. anybody looking at this, I don't want them to be like, well, he's saying white kids don't have it hard. No, white nah. kids have it hard. Black <laughs> right. kids have it hard. But black kids sometimes grow up in environments right. and they're, they're turned on to things, especially with the internet now, 
yeah. you know, that is uh, pushing certain things for them to be. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes they just don't know yeah. like, how to. They don't know that, that they pedestal. don't know their background. They don't know their worth unless somebody is in their ear telling them, you know, what I mean, sometimes they got to hear it from a father. You know what I'm saying? And, sometimes and that's they why they know. got so mad. That's why they got mad at Monique. And I and I, I praise Monique for yeah. saying what she was saying, because when we do go out the house, we should uh, feel a certain way, you know, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, and we should look a certain way. And, you yeah. know, and uh, I'm not saying that you're going to do that all the time, but, you right. know, what I mean, it's it's becoming too prevalent that we're, we, we don't care about how we look when we go out of, out of our homes. You know, we grew up in a time, you know, we grew up in a time where your parents used to always tell you, when you leave this house, don't be acting no fool. Because when they when they going to talk, they ain't going to talk about you, they're going to talk about me. And right. my mom used to always say that. She's like, you're a representation of me when you walk out this door. So when you go out there, don't be acting no damn fool nowhere. You know what I mean? And But you got to understand, know, you know, like the fathers, you know, I mean, I, I do look at, I look at the system, mm-hmm. right? You know, unfortunately, we have been put into a system that's a lot of fathers have been taken out the home yeah right so yep. we left left these beautiful queens to raise these kids by themselves whether they be boys or girls mm-hmm. and you know it, it's meant for fathers and mothers to raise kids mm-hmm. you know so when mothers raise kids by themselves they have to take on that father role also right so you know and it's very stressful. It's not really easy. You know, my mom was a single parent. Yeah. Uh, uh, fortunately, you know, my father did come around enough that he gave me enough uh, guidance that, you know, I was afraid of certain things. I was not, I mean, I, I had a fear of the streets, even though I was in the streets, even though I grew up in the streets, I had a certain fear that if you go too far, Red, this is what happened. And God gave me up, God gave me small doses when I was early, you know, through me having an attitude problem to show me that the law doesn't play. Yeah. So they yeah. will lock you up. They will put you in jail. Mm-hmm. You will lose your freedom and you won't be able to live a life like you want to live. So, you know, I just, I, I, I always tell the fathers out there and they listening, you know, we got to step up more. And I'm not just talking about with your kids. Yeah. With all kids. Yeah, you yeah. Know? And that, that's that, uh, that's uh and that's key because I see that you do um a lot of community service and I see you got a program uh was like, don't, don't shoot. Don't, don't shoot guns, shoot cameras. Don't shoot guns, shoot cameras. And yeah. I thought it was dope. Um, And what, what made you think about doing something like that? Like, where did that come from? Well, like in 99, I shot my first um, movie. Okay. Um, I got, I was blessed to get a uh, half million dollars from an investor mm-hmm. to shoot a movie, shoot a movie called Family Reunion. Um, mm-hmm. I put some more Michael Collier, Ronaldo, Ray, BB Drake, the twins. Uh, I put Joe Claire, Lost Boys. I mean, it was just like a, a whole slew yeah. of people that were hot at in the moment. Uh, Melanie Camacho. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, it was just a lot, lot of Char, Char. Um, I can't even think of Char's last name, but she was on with Brandy. Her and Brandy had that show on. But I put them all in on this this movie, and I, after I made that movie, I saw how important it was um, that film was in my life. 
Yeah. Because uh, I had already worked for BET. I had already started uh, working for Teen Summit. And I had already started being around a lot of cameras. Right. And I was like, damn, if I can get young people to get involved with these cameras, man, yeah. This could be this, this can change their life. So I had been talking about it since 99, but I never implemented the program until last year, last summer. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I started in D.C. Uh, you know, timing is everything, you know. Um, so we took and we did it during the pandemic. So it was like a program that so we teach kids how to write um, scripts from scratch. And then they shoot the scripts to take three days to shoot these short films and um uh, then we edit them. And what I learned is, you know, a lot of these kids are not even turned on the programs that they have mentors that they can talk to or that can talk to them direct and say, nah, this ain't cool. You right, feel right, me? Right. When you hear in these situations, you can't act like this, mm-hmm. you know? So it, it, it takes those situations and they take them from those situations and they start pushing to be better. Then I tell them, man, you got to make your friends feel like this too, because if you if, if you can be the catalyst to motivate your friends who sometimes motivate you to do wrong, and when you're young, you just ain't thinking like, you know, like how, you know, a grown-up be thinking, your mind ain't even fully developed yet. Yeah. So they, even yeah. though they think they're grown, they're not really, you know, if you look back at your 15-year-old self and your 14-year-old self, your 17-year-old self, you know, even your 24-year-old self, I was an you asshole. Know. Yeah, I was an asshole, bro. Yeah, like, I guess, know. like, I was arrogant. I was an asshole. Like, um, I, I do another podcast called HBCU Stories. And, you know, I bring people on. We talk about going to HBCU and what was the circumstances behind us getting there, things like that. And I remember specifically, like, <clears throat> I had a friend of mine, man, was super smart, man. And I was I was hell-bent. I was going to go to Rutgers. I was either going to go to Rutgers or I was going to go to service. And we went down there, man. He got to a, a go to do a visit at Hampton University. And we went and visited Hampton, man. I was like, man, all these damn black people. I said, like, man, I'm going to a damn HBCU. You know what I'm saying? And that's yeah, what did it. Change your life. It that's what did life. it. That's what did it for me, man. I was like, I don't even know why I was thinking about going to Rutgers. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, and, this, and the program, the the program that you know, the Don't Shoot Guns is an SEL program. You know, social and emotional learning program. Yeah. So you know, we we delve into, you know, that social and emotional learning. You right. know. And, and trying to keep these kids on track and right. the, the retention um, numbers is a hundred percent, you know? So, and, and the perfect, they all had perfect attendance, you know, they wanted to be there. Right. So though these are, and now, you know, we're going to implement these same programs within school systems. So we're doing DC this year and we're doing Inglewood this summer. So, you okay. know, now we're going to just continue to move it to different uh, cities you know, Chicago, Detroit, Atlanta, you know, any anywhere where it's like high crime rates and, you know, you know, kids, you know, need this, that whole uh, social and emotional learning. <clears throat> That's what's up. Did, um, <clears throat> is there is at the response to other cities, is there other programs that you do besides that or in conjunction with the um, don't shoot guns, shoot cameras? Yeah, what we do is we, we hook up with a uh, different nonprofit organization like the Hustlers Guild. Is the mm-hmm. one who runs uh, the uh, Don't Shoot Guns, Shoot Cameras in D.C. But right, right now we're reaching out to o- other nonprofit organizations that have, you know, you know, kids that maybe they, they're into basketball or maybe they're into art. So they may be into, you know, um, the gun violence, you know, I mean, situation. So, you know, we, we're concentrating hard 
on gun violence right now because gun violence has taken over our community. And, you know, and, and if we don't get a hand on it now, we're going to be living in the wild, wild west for real. And the purge will be real. And, and you know, people won't be able to go outside. Yeah, yeah. When you was at during the pandemic, when everything kind of shut down or whatever, did you did your did your comedy like slow down? Because I seen a lot of people still on the road doing their thing. Did you just shut everything down, or did you just kind of pick and choose? What was what was your uh, comedy calendar like once that happened? Well, when it, when it shut down, you know, I started doing uh, Red Grant Funhouse. I do that virtually, yeah. and I would just have people just come in and just you know we just laugh and, and clown. Right. But right. then I got, with, like I said, I got with the Hustlers Guild and we started doing what we call the Hustlers Hangout. Mm-hmm. And we, we we concentrated on the high school youth that were get, dealing with this whole pandemic and dealing with, you know, a whole new social situation, mm-hmm. virtual situation. So what we did every week, we have a celebrity come on. Our first celebrity was Snoop Dogg. Um, and we had, you know, we have hundreds of kids on the line come in. And mm-hmm. second celebrity was uh, Anthony Anderson. Yeah. Um, our third celebrity was Ricky Smiley, and we did uh, All Homage Eat, which is one of the biggest clothing companies in D.C., and we did Jess Larry. So we put those five individuals um, on, and the kids, it was just crazy to see how well that hit. So, yeah. you know, God sent me into another mission when the, when the pandemic hit. Right. Um, and, and it's crazy because I look back at it, I'm like, dang, God, you separated me from everybody to put me with the right people. Right. So, you know, my circle got smaller, but yet my circle got bigger. Right. So I was able to, um, to, uh, to take advantage of those situations. We were, we were the first people to do zoom. Like people yeah. didn't know what even zoom was. And I was talking about, no, nah, we're going to do it on zoom. They was like, zoom, what is zoom? Right. And now right. everybody's zoom heads, you know? Well, it, it opened up a whole world. I knew nothing about, I mean, I was just sitting in my house, and I seen one, one of my comedy partners, one of, one of our frat brothers, go live. Because at that time, Facebook took down the whole going live thing. It was like a perfect timing. Like, hey, it took down going live on Facebook. So then he went on Zoom and went live. And I'm like, what are you using? Were y'all live together on screen like that? He was like, this thing called Zoom. So then I'm like, so I'm, I'm, I go log on. I get a membership because I want to I get the whole time. And I was like, I could probably do a podcast through this. And I, all I did was all I did was figure out that I could grab the audio. Once I figured out I could grab the audio, and that's when I just started bringing comedians on and doing my podcast through Zoom when it when it happened that way. Because before my podcast was just me. If I was in town, like say for instance, you and I were doing a show, I'd be like, "Yo, you want to jump on my podcast? I have a microphone for you, microphone for me, and we'll just chop yeah. it up." You know yeah. what I mean? So that was that was like the whole different whole different process. You know what I mean? I just, I just believe I just believe God need to shake us up sometimes. Like right, you right. Like, Take us like out of our, you know, bed. Like, get up, you comfortable, you know. Yeah, yeah. Get your butt up, you know what I mean. So he shook us up, you know what yeah. I mean. He shook the world up, just like everybody. I'm a, you know, people are like, no, the government putting us, they, they hold. Nah, <laughs> that, that wasn't the government. <laughs> that was yeah. that was God. The God event. The God event did that. Right, 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 right. Um, and and I mean, if you if you look at me now, like I'm a more I, I'm a more successful individual just within the year and a half. You know, I'm not talking about my comedy. Comedy is, you know, yeah. is what I I love. But even my 
you know, my humanitarianism and my, my um, social environment and my philanthropist work and just, you know, being able to be in DC again and like, you know, run for office and, yeah. and just put myself in that situation, you know, it, it probably wouldn't, it, it, I was on that road to, you know, run for office, yeah. but it really just, it really like time warped it to a point where, you know, you know, now it's time you have the space, you have the energy, you have the, you know, uh, creativity and you don't have all of the distractions. Distractions, right. It did give us an opportunity to shut everything down and kind of focus on what we was doing. You know, it was a lot of time for self-reflection too, sitting in the house all the time by yourself, you know what I mean? And it's like, <laughs> you can only pull with so many drinks. You're like, hold up, man, let me, let me, let me figure you can only go to the, Or you can only go to the refrigerator so many times. <laughs> right, how many, right. How many, how many heavy, how many people that got heavy during the pandemic? You start I, looking at your body, you be like, damn, hold up, man. <laughs> Doing too much. I, I got in shape, out of shape, and trying to get back in shape all through that same pandemic. You know what I'm saying? So I was too. like, man, I'm jacking up. I'm Me messing too. up. Yeah. I started walking more. I started walking more. And now, you know, I do this thing called Walk with Red. So mm-hmm. I I I walk like every day if I can. Um mm-hmm. uh I try to do like five to six miles a, a day. Mm-hmm. Um just walking. And it's just, it's, it, it's a good thing for your spirit. I tell people all the time, you know, walk with red. You ain't got to even be in the same, on the same block as I'm walking. But if you can just motivate yourself to go walk and get walking groups, find ways to get walking groups and, you know, just, you know, get that time for yourself. It, it's very peaceful. It's good for your body. You don't have to run and be like, oh, I got to get out running. Nah, you know. And I went from 246 down to 207, like two, like, like oh, just like eating right. Like, and I and I'm yeah. motivating people. Like, you asked me what else am I doing? I'm trying to motivate people to eat better. Like, like I cut out all meats. I don't eat no meats. I don't eat no chickens and none of that. I just mm-hmm. eat fish if I can and drink 90% water. And I tell people, water itself, with whatever meal you have, is better than drinking a soda, juice, That's tea, right. all that. So, you know, I'm trying to motivate people to stay healthy and yeah. um, and so we can be on this earth longer. Absolutely, man. That's that's the key right there. I uh, I, I cut uh, sugary drinks out. I think it's been about four years now, four, five years now. Um, mm. I just stopped. I just stopped. I trained myself to drink water. You train yourself to drink water. And when you thirst, you only thirst for water. You don't thirst for anything else other than water. So I got I did it. Got my mom to do it. And then even my kids, like my kids go out to the restaurant when we order, they was like, what do you want to drink? They'll, they'll just say water. And it's just like, they just do it because they see me do it all the time. They're like, dad, you don't never drink no sweet tea? And I'm like, nah. And I just, you know, I just said, look, I done had enough in my lifetime. You know what I mean? If y'all want to get one, y'all go ahead and get one, but I just have some water. You know what I mean? I, I, I say, that's why I always tell people, I go 90% water, right? Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I leave myself a little room yeah. to, to play to get my sugars when yeah, I want. Right. I, but I mean, you, but know. you know what? Sometimes you sometimes, man, if you go along enough, man, it'd be too sweet. You're like, man, it's, uh. like, yeah. like if you <laughs> it's like it's like you get so used to drinking water, you go, oh, this is too sweet. Even when I drink my coffee now, it's like I'll get a little bit of that little sugary creamer, but that's it. Like I can't my, do too hey, much. Hey, Slim, my, my wife, she she like I have a wife that is she is the same weight same shape muscle mass and everything that's when i met her 17 years ago wow and she don't 
she don't put all that bad stuff in her body and she don't even eat gluten or none of that. Any so you know, I be trying to keep up with her, 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 <laughs> her whole little program. I can't keep up with it. Nah. I try nah. My best. Right. Cause then you be messing around eating kale chips. I'd be like, man, where the regular chips at? Oh, you we do that, that too. <laughs> we do the kale chips and all that. We do all that. <laughs> that is hilarious, man. Hey, you know, I was talking to somebody uh last week and they was telling me, um, it's like, yeah, man, did you know such and such was a new and this that? I go, Yeah, there's a lot of comedians that's um cappers. And he was like, Well, why, why don't you hook up with cappers? And I said, dude, it don't work like that. I said, comedy don't work in that way. Like, I can let anybody know that I'm a new. I can I can bring all the noobs together. I said, but it doesn't work in a way where you could go, you a noob, so I'm gonna put you on the show. I said, everybody gotta work their own path. Everybody gotta do their own work. Everybody gotta show their own worth to be able to do what they do on stage. Well, I let said, me say, let, let me say this about that. Let me say this about that. Mm-hmm. And this, this, this is a, 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 this is for all the bros, mm-hmm. right? We do have to connect more. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And I, and I and I told you know they know I'm one of them bros that like I I'm an advocate for the bros supposed to be the bros the bros supposed to talk to each other at all times oh. all that separate all that separatism of uh, bros and once you cross and now and I and I and this is I'm just talking about in general mm-hmm. you know I don't like when bros see other bros and they don't speak or they you know they getting their feelings or you know they don't help each other out and you know you in that situation so I'm telling all the bros out there. You know, we have to re-engage our own situations and then work toward re-engaging the divine nine and other fraternities and sororities. Because I feel like the divine nine should always connect with one another. Yeah. I feel like the divine nine should always have a sense of loyalty to one another because we pledge to service the communities. Mm-hmm. So if we pledge to ser- service the community bigger than what our fraternities are or our sororities are, you know, we pledge to that one pledge is to service communities. And we have lost that way of service in the communities. So it sometimes falls on our shoulders as the divine nine to service our community. We can't get that caught up in what we have been or who we are. Yeah, Red Grant has accomplished all of this, but Red Grant has to come back and help the community and service. So I say to anybody who's watching this and they are part of any sorority, fraternity, even if you ain't a part of no sorority or fraternity, we have to start servicing the communities. And we can't sit and walk past things that is a problem and then think the government is going to fix all the problems because it's not going to happen like that. So we got to come up with a new plan that goes straight to the heart of how do we get together and service these communities and put all of our BS aside and put all of our uh, quote unquote um, uh, hierarchies aside and come down into the same level and get this thing done. Because if we don't, it's going to be problems. It's already problems, you know? Yeah, Martin I, Luther King. Just think about Martin Luther King and all of them that, that they all brought those service uh, services together. Yeah. Look at our dream. Look what the dream was like. You feel me? Mm-hmm. So, you know that's that's just my place to to anybody in that situation. So, you know, once I hear that you are new, I'm gonna say yeah quicker. 
Yeah, I feel you. I feel you on that too. And I do the same thing when it comes to if someone says, do you know somebody? I go, yeah. So I'm going to mention my frat first and then I'll go into the other the other realm as to far as comedians that I might suggest for a show or something like that. But it also comes down to you funny, bro. Cause I can't be vouching for you if you're gonna get up there and be. Oh no, that's no, that's a whole different thing. I still gotta know you do the job. Right, 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 right. So that's a, that's the other thing that's like into it. I was leaving. I was in Myrtle Beach this past weekend down at the Carolina Comedy Club. I come walking out the club to go put some merchandise in my trunk, and this this uh, homeless dude was standing over by the thing, like nephew Tommy. I'm like, nah, bruh. That ain't me. He like you. You ever anybody ever tell you like nephew Tommy? I'm like, yeah, man. I heard that before, man. But I was like, that ain't me, man. <laughs> it's like, and it was so funny because I was just sitting there like, man, don't do that, bro. And he just kept yelling out every time I left the club. He was out there every all weekend, just yelling out every time I walk out the club. But that was just a uh, one of those things. Give me, give me somebody who, in your career, was a mentor for you, and then somebody that you mentored uh, in the comedy game. Mentor for me. Yeah. I've had a lot of them. Yeah. Um, I would say early in my career, and he's still a mentor. I still listen to him. Uh, Donnell Rollins. Nice. Yeah. Uh, Joe Claire. We all were, we all were friends. Um, yeah. I would say Dave Chappelle has been a mentor uh, in yeah. a certain period of my life yeah. when I lived in New York. Yeah. Tracy Morgan has been a mentor. Um, Mike Epps has been a mentor even though we were all living together. But just to, you know, I think we mentored each other. Yeah. Um, Cat Williams have been a huge mentor to me, like um, just to change my whole idealistic thought pattern of not, um, not being the same old comedian that everybody else is trying to be. Talk, um, talk, talk a little bit about that. Um, I, I know what you mean when you say that, but I want you to go further into that. Uh, well, you know, my brother Cat is like, um, is a person that won't allow people to just say anything. Mm -hmm. Like when I say that, I'm just saying he always is uh, making you live up to higher standards and even in conversation and yeah. thought. Yeah. So, you know, and when you're around him and even like, you know, as you see why he is the goat that he is, you you see how he writes and how he's not afraid to talk about certain subjects, right. how he expresses his subjects in a different manner than anybody else could ever, you know, express subjects. And, but it's his way of expressing them. So him pushing me to express my subjects in the way that I know how to um, express them because yeah. nobody can be who you are. Nobody can grow up how you grew up and nobody can have the things that taught you to be the thing, the person that you are. Right. So, you know, him just like pushing me to just be uh, more thoughtful and more aware of what we're talking about. And, uh, has has changed my life and like and it didn't like like even like Lunell just being friends with Lunell and and Lunell is like one of those female yeah. comics that won't allow you to just talk 
She yeah. ain't like a regular female. She's right. not, I don't call her a female comic. Right. She, right. she is a comic. She's a comedian. Right. And she don't take, like, she won't allow people to just talk BS around her. Yeah, absolutely. So, absolutely. So, so that's just something that, you know, we all have in common that, mm-hmm. you know, people wonder why we're friends. But it's it's because, you know, we we pretty much, you know, all came from different states. But yet we all have similar, similar backgrounds to where, you know, we're able to. Uh, to understand one another. Um, but I would say, like, you know, Kat is mm-hmm. one of the biggest mentors that I've, because I don't listen to everybody. So yeah. you got to you gotta be able to, you know, get to me. And he's also a mentor to so many um, youth. He, um, he sponsored this summer's camp in D.C. Okay. Um, and, you know, you know that's just showing his heart and he's always been sponsoring and helping comedians grow if you look at the list of comedians that he's put on Mm -hmm. like even since he's been on and even before he was on on when he was like hosting the uh hollywood park in la he was still Mm -hmm. putting comedians on i mean look leslie jones come out as his camp Mm -hmm. you know the lunels come out as camp you know Melanie Camacho's come out as camp, you know, mm-hmm. Greg Grant's come out as camp, the Zoo Miller's come out as camp, the Mark Curry's come out as camp. I mean, I can go on and on of how many people that he put on to, that come out of his camp to become successful. Right. And, you know, and and that just shows the the, uh, the, the value that he has to this comedy game and, and that he can sit <laughs> up and just um, be – selfish and take it all in but that's not who he is so some comedians this is about them but he's always sharing that the love and and look how successful people who've been around him become right so you know yeah i think it's important that everybody gets all sides of every story man because it's easy for a narrative to go the opposite direction about a person once you see a person going through struggles or whatever and everybody want to put the negative um no but people let me say this about no people what, what people um do is they jump on the first narrative right so you know you know um when it comes to and, and they and this goes with anything you know somebody say something first oh la, 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 la. it's like people are so followish that they just follow bs and they don't get they don't go deep enough to uh really get the true story of what happened right you know right. or what's really happening Right. So, you know, that we, we had a word for it back in the day that I can't use no more, but they, <laughs> they riders. They right, riders. right, right. I feel you. I feel you. I got you. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, I mean, you know, you know, forget the narrative of what people say. You know, you got to get the real, true understanding of who that person is. Like, people do that with me. They, like, they, they really, they think I'm a certain way just because of my persona on TV or my persona that they know. But when you yeah. get to know Red Grant, you get to know that he's just a, a soft-hearted, care-about type of person. I'm not the same person off stage that I am on stage, even though I'm I'm, I'm humorous off stage. But you know, I'm, I have a more sense of seriousness when I'm off stage. You know, yeah. and, and people were like always like, "Damn, I didn't know you were serious." I was like, <laughs> "Yeah." 
You know, much energy, you know how much energy that would take for you to be who you on stage every day, man. Like, like that was I mean, that's my career. I actually put up a pen, piece of paper, and write things down. That it that takes intelligence in itself right. to structure things. Like people say, well, how will you be able to run a city? Well, I've been structuring companies for years, from mm -hmm. writing companies, writing development companies to film companies productions uh, situations to uh, executive producing to I mean you, I mean I, I run thousands of people within those those realms mm -hmm. so I mean it, it it all crosses over but you have to be able to sit down and, and see the the true notation of a man uh, to you to understand who they are and uh, your question of who I've had mentored I think I've mentored so many young comedians and still to this day, I, I mentor them. I, I can't really say names, yeah. but I, I can say that my my uh, my octopus arms reach a lot of different yeah. young comedians and they all ask me and they come up to me later in life. They be like, you know, Red, oh man, you know, uh, man, you told me something in such and such year and yeah. I, it took me la la la. And, and, and same with, like, you know, I coach football, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, even with coaching, like, football or baseball, and I, when I worked at the recreation center when I was 19 years old, you know, those kids come up to me now, and they grown. They like, Coach Grant, man, you man, you taught us so much. I was like, man, I don't even remember that stuff. I right. just remember just, you know, being who I was. And, uh, you know, but I think we all should mentor people. I think we Absolutely. all should. You know, and mentoring ain't nothing but giving advice to people, you know, when you Give me your time, yep. yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, Mike so, Mike Tyson Mike Tyson says it's better about discipline. You know, discipline is doing something that you hate and doing it as if you love it. Wow. And, you know, and wow. you know, yeah. sometimes you might don't want to, you know, mentor, yeah. but you know, and when it comes to part of your life and you start loving it, then you know you don't have no no problem with it. When you played when you played football, what, what position did you play? I played uh tailback and linebacker in high school. And then when I went to Savannah State, I played fullback. Fullback. Uh, okay. we ran wing T. So uh -huh. um and uh, yeah. And yeah, you, I yeah I, like I said, man, that back in the day, you know, the, the, the HBCUs, I mean, we they still had talent coming out of there going into the NFL. Shannon Sharp is a perfect example of that, but you know, it wasn't nothing for somebody like I know we I went to school with somebody that ran a four two and we were yeah. like, yo, you got to roll. No, I don't have the rust. Okay. I don't know if that's someone knocking at my door. Okay, okay. <laughs> my wife's knocking at my door. Okay. All right. We about, yeah. we about done. We about we probably got a couple more questions and then and we can we can roll out of me. This is my beautiful wife. How you doing? All right. Um, so what I like to do on the uh on the podcast is uh, if you ever watched the uh, film uh, Film Guild Studio, Actors Guild Studio with James Lipton, he would fire questions off at the guests, and they would answer uh, the questions, you know, with the first thing that come to their mind. And I remixed it a little bit. So, with that being said, uh, what's your favorite word? My favorite word, yeah, king and queen. King and queen. All right, and that's that's a good one to use, especially nowadays. I mean, especially with the history we know about ourselves and being able to utilize it and putting that on somebody on a spirit. 
it, it's helpful. You know what I mean? Even when I say it to my daughters, you know what I mean? But I call my daughters, I've been calling my daughters mama since they was babies. So even when I see them and I say, hey, mama, they're like, why you, why you always say mama? I go, you're going to be somebody's mama one day. You mean, you might as well go ahead and get it. I think, I think, I think <laughs> one of my other favorite word, I think my other favorite word is spirit. So, spirit. you know, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, I always tell people to get their spirit right. So I, I, I would say those, those are my top three words. Okay. Um, what's your least favorite word? Um, nigga. I, I, and I understand that. I understand that space is coming from too, because there's a time and a place. And sometimes we just, we didn't use it so much. It don't, it don't even, it don't even fit no more. You know what I mean? Um, I have a, a phrase that I use, uh, hashtag it's right behind me. It's TTBS. TTBS stands for anything and everything you absolutely no control over in your life. In other words, that's that bullshit. So in your mind, what's that's that bullshit to you? Black hate. Good one. Self-hate uh, too. Yeah, self-hate and black hate. I guess it could be the same thing. I, well, that's that's what I mean. Most mm -hmm. black people hate on each other. Just like right. that's like yeah, right. that. Um uh yeah. Um dudes disrespecting women. Mm -hmm. yeah. Women disrespecting dudes. Mm-hmm. Um, not stepping up and being fathers, man. Um, man. Yeah, I mean it's a lot of yeah, <laughs> a lot of TTBS out there. Yeah, I got yeah, you. I mean, you know, it's a, uh, gun violence. Yeah, you know, stuff like that. Okay, the opposite of that is uh, is the shit. Like, what is the shit to you? Like, what is like, yo, that's the shit. Um, black love, black love. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, okay. uh, being prepared. Proper preparation prevents poor performance. Yeah. Like we to, <laughs> now when, when I was lined up every day, you know what I mean, in the cut, you know what I mean? Um, and then and then the excuses will follow behind it, you know what I mean? No excuses. Yeah. So, excuses yeah. are the two excuses are the two yeah. <laughs> those who specialize in excuses are seldom good for nothing. Yeah, yeah. I taught I taught my daughter's excuses uh when they were six. I like look, mama, don't be giving no excuses, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> I probably need to I probably need to give my daughter that same thing right now. Yeah, I, I still one of one of my daughters still recite it every time that she say something. I'd be like, Mama, what's that? I was like, that excuse, and then she'd she be like, excuse two again. I'm like, all right. So uh, they were just in the AAU tournament this weekend. I was down at, that's why I was down in Myrtle Beach performing down there because I was down there with them for AAU. And oh, they play was, ball? They play basketball, yeah. Yeah, so my daughter played basketball too. And uh, my wife is like, I always brag on her. I, I embarrass her all the time, but she's a Hall of Fame. Um, she's got her Hall of Fame ring from Boise State University. Whoa. So, so she you know, at HBCU too. Oh yeah, we all we both HBCUs. I'm gonna have to get y'all on the other podcast, man. I gotta get oh, y'all yeah. on HBCU stories, man. That's good. Oh, yeah, man. that'd be good to get me and my wife on HBCU. Yeah, stories. absolutely. I would. I would definitely. I'm gonna reach back out to uh, to Auntie Marie, man, and see if I can get y'all on there because I do those on Sunday nights, and we just we just go around the round table and talk about our experiences at HBCUs. And her name is Auntea. Antea, okay, Antea, okay, yeah. I got you. I don't want you to be calling her Auntie Marie. <laughs> well, I only went through typing, so yeah, I didn't, I didn't have to say it out loud. But <laughs> I'm Auntie, Auntie Marie. I'm, hey, you I, know, I'm gonna be calling her. I'm gonna be Auntie. calling her that all day. Hey, Auntie well, it's spelled, it's spelled T at the end. You know, T A. You know, say Auntea. But um, 
Yeah, the HBCU stories would be dope. And they, and my daughter's mother, uh, my ex-wife, she actually played at uh she actually played at Virginia Tech. So she was, you oh. know, so they, you know, they get it naturally, you know, but it's just, you know, her coaching them is a little bit different. I keep telling her, I don't think you need to coach them because they ain't gonna listen to you after a while. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> they don't. My wife found that out too, but she tried, but no, we got we got we had to get her trainers and all that stuff. Yeah, I'm trying to convince her not to teach the twins, man. Right, y'all just leave them alone, let them be, you know what I mean? But um the other other question is uh if if no one knew who you was and that's probably hard to do right now but if I, nobody knew who you was and i had to introduce you to the world what will be your walk-on music oh my walk-on music yeah will be, uh there's men so many things that held us down <laughs> <laughs> and now that looks like man, i finally coming around <laughs> straight out of school there you go got, yeah ain't no stopping us now man ain't no stopping you know and i'm a, you know i'm from i'm from south jersey so you know that song got great meaning to me because i grew up oh a y'all used fan. to be housing in that thing, I, I grew i grew up a sixers fan and that was our song when, when they won the championship in 83 you know what i'm saying <laughs> ain't no stopping us now was like a great Sixers song like that's what we used to listen to all the time so yeah, yeah it's crazy um what would be if if you if you retired tomorrow from comedy and that was it that was it like all right my last show what's your walk-off music damn what would be my walk-off music yeah uh, damn that's a great question what would be my walk-off i never thought of that yeah what yeah would be my walk-off music uh-huh i don't have to uh-huh Damn, I would probably have to say like some Biggie Smalls, something Biggie Smalls. It's like yeah. anything Biggie or Tupac. It would be my yeah. walk on music. Yeah. Uh, damn, yeah. that's a great question. <laughs> that's right. Right, you got to think about it for a minute. You know what I mean? What you can do? I wouldn't yeah. even, damn, because I, I, I never see myself retiring. You're right, and that's a, that's a difficult type of thought process too. But maybe, yeah, maybe even like even with this, even with the stuff that I'm doing right now. You know, you know, I was talking to DL Hughley one day and I was he was like, uh, and I was telling him, man, you know, I might have to retire for comedy. He was like, nah, you never retire. You nah, never retire. Nah. If, if you, uh, if it you just made sense. Always gotta be on, on stage. But uh maybe maybe it's I got a story to tell from Biggie. Maybe you just do that. And maybe you just put on <laughs> I got a story to tell. You know what I mean? What's that song? <laughs> uh, friend, uh, uh, oh damn. I made my bed and cried my song. It's like a sad song. <laughs> It'd be a sad song. You'd be crying like a mother. That red gone. He gone. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. If if you weren't doing if you weren't doing comedy, where do you really see yourself? Where do you think you would have been at this point right now in your life? I would definitely be working with kids, like coaching yeah. kids. Uh, yeah. Uh, he's still working at the recreation center, probably. Uh, uh, just doing some type of service, community service. Yeah. Or be a radio personality. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah, I think that'd be dope too. Um, you know, congratulations to your success and everything that you're working on, especially you running for mayor and everything like that, man. And I've been following, you know, the progress and the processes that you've been going through on social media. So, you know, big ups to you, man. And, uh, you know, we all rooting for you, man. Because, like Thanks. I said, man, if that door opened up, everybody going to be like, yo, man, um, Red did it. <laughs> I might be able to do it. You know what I mean? Like, you just never know what type of mindset people will get in and be like, yo, man. But I no, be even, even before that, like, 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 even just making those steps. Yeah. You know, is, is opening up doors and eyes to other people that, you know, 
damn, we can we can get into this a game that can control our future and all of that. So absolutely, man. You know, absolutely. Everybody who's been everybody who's been supporting out on social media, everybody who's been supporting the person, this whole movement. I appreciate you guys. Uh, we will win, and we will um, have a story to tell at the end of this because. Um, People don't think that we can be successful and actually come together and move as one and organize, but um, they're going to be uh, far-fetched and not understanding that um, this right hook really hurt. No, no doubt. Just that, just that Javante Davis right here. Hey, li hey, listen, man. I just saw that fight. You know, that's I'm my son. To... Look, I look just like him. That's, that's, that's my son. <laughs> I'm trying to find out. I asked the question. Just last week, who y'all feel is pound for pound? Because you got Tank Davis, and then you got the monster, the, the dude from Japan. And, and they both fought week after week. And both of them right now look unstoppable. You know what I'm saying? Um, and I'm just trying to figure out pound for pound, because it, it's almost taking me back to a time when you had uh, Trinidad and you had, like, uh, uh, Prince Nassim, and all of them was fighting around the same time, and we trying to find out who was pound for pound. Right now, I'm getting a little bit more hype about boxing. And I, and I left for a little bit, but now I'm getting hype again. Well, man, it's hype. It's the, I, I was at that. I was at my wife. Uh, well, she loves boxing, too. But I was at the fight party um, and, and Baltimore. And, you know, the, yeah. the Ronce is from Baltimore. I had five shows this weekend in Baltimore. So yeah. um, I got a chance to see it around all Baltimore, Baltimore. people. <laughs> like his people. <laughs> So it was a very exciting, man, to yeah, see man. that young brother come, come, you know, because he was down on the scorecard, and yeah, to see him be, you know, come back and just knock him out, like yeah. with a body punch. Yeah, That's, I mean that joint had everybody crazy that day. So I, I yeah. just feel like he didn't. I want him to be the next dude because I just feel like I'm like, yeah, man, we need something. We need something with a little spark. You know what I mean? He just got that whole charisma. He got everything, man. He like, yo. I'm riding with that dude, man, for real. So, right, well, yeah, man, I appreciate the time, man, Nuke, man. I appreciate you jumping on the podcast, man. And um, yeah. this uh, this has been a blessing, man. So, yo, good luck to everything, man. And uh, again, once again, man, thanks uh, for coming on. Well, I hope you got everything you wanted to get out of this interview and, and more. And I appreciate you. Uh, and, and congratulations on everything you're doing. And God bless your career. And God bless your family. No doubt, man. Appreciate you, Nuke. Peace. Hey, peace. All right.